You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 149 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on November 19th. This is Vince, along with Raj. How's it going today, man? You made me have to like put my controller down. <laughs> playing freaking PS4 since Friday. It's been awesome. Has the thing turned off in the last four days? It has, actually. It has, a, but just like late when I'm tired of doing DC Universe Online. <laughs> and then I turn it off and go to sleep. But no, I've been playing uh, DCU online or dcu online again um like we had played it when it originally came out and then it stopped and when it came out for ps3 we played a little bit of it but i wasn't crazy about the controls but then we got the ps4 and so i thought i'll oh, we'll just install it and see they did some upgrades to it and i've just been doing more of it so i've gotten more used to the control scheme and whatnot but it's been fun actually playing it again and remembering you know the how fun it is doing quests where you've got Batman talking to you. Like there's that, that never got old. That's, that's still as cool now as it was then. <laughs> Although by sheer coincidence, when I happened to pop into your stream last night, you were doing like one of the worst quests in the game. Yeah. There are a couple that are really <laughs> not good that are, that probably should have been taken out of the game. Um, but yeah, they are still, they are still there, but I mean, overall it's still, Again, it's still such a good game. It, not without its faults, of course, but it's still a phenomenal game. It's and worth th- what you pay for it. Well, I mean, it was free now. Of course, you've got to play <laughs> for the freaking DLCs. And then I play, my son's been playing, so like we have to pay for the DLCs like twice if we each get them, even though it's the same goddamn console. And they re-recorded all of Gina Torres's Wonder Woman tracks i don't know why she decided not to keep doing the voice of wonder woman one would think contractual obligations or money but because she's no longer doing it they re-recorded everything so it's like now it's not zoe from firefly telling you to do all this cool stuff which really ruins it for me because hmm. in my yeah. mind i was not taking quests from freaking wonder woman <laughs> zoe was in my comm unit telling me to do bad things to bad people it was awesome and, and you make fun of me for being a fanboy too much sometimes. Yeah, but I'm only a fanboy of a few things that deservedly should people should be fanboys of. Firefly, everyone should. You, pretty much anything. Seriously. I'm a very passionate person. Call it what you will. I call it being stupidly passionate, but um, <laughs> you could abbreviate it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had... Um, Something I wanted to bring up before we got into this week's discussion, but I actually think I'm going to put that off for a little while and give you a few minutes to talk about this top 25 uh, DC superheroes <laughs> list you just found. Because, <laughs> oh boy, you, you, you had some things to say on Twitter. <laughs> I didn't realize you were reading. I thought you were busy with show notes at the time. <laughs> I had just finished. <laughs> it's funny because I didn't think it was a big deal. I just had some words to say about it ign put out a list of their top 25 dc superheroes and booster goal is on the freaking list that there is enough that anybody should you know discount the list what actually you should discount the list the moment you 
go into it. And number <laughs> 25 is Damian Wayne. That there is reason enough to close the tab and just leave IGN forever when it comes to comic books. But yeah, Damian Wayne is on it. And then there's freaking uh, Booster Goal is number 19. And then Kyle Rayner. I, oh, I figured that would make you exceptionally happy. I figured you would love that. And then you get into the top 10. Well, A, Aquaman. Aquaman is in the top Aquaman. 10. Now, I can understand them feeling the need to put him in the list because though he's not in the Trinity, he is still, you know, one of the Justice League. So they feel the need to, although really, I wouldn't have even put him in the top 25. And then they got Shazam in the top 10 at number nine. Barry Allen, fine, although eight. Seriously, they put Catwoman before Barry Allen. Catwoman is number seven. Although I I do have to give him a thumbs up for actually putting Wally West ahead of Barry Allen. Sure, sure, fine. But (laughs) Catwoman Catwoman. at number seven. And then again, Nightwing, of course he belongs in the list. But before Barry Allen and Wally West? No. Hal Jordan, there you go. That's obviously, you knew who was going to be in the top four. You got your Green Lantern, Wonder Woman. But then they put Batman as two and Superman as number one. And it's like, seriously? Really? You, you, You have no concept of what the fans think of these IPs and which one deserves to be number one. Yeah. The list as a whole made me laugh. I just, I, I, I had replies. I had to, I had to reply on Twitter to this. stupidity. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. There's, there's some funny stuff in here. Like yeah, the 75 year history of one of the biggest, you know, comics publishers in history around, the punk kid that's been around for like five years clocks in at number 25. You know what's funny is like I wasn't How even – does this make Tim Drake feel? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even going through like all the, the archives of like real superheroes that belong in this list because there's, there's a great many. But even just off the top of my head, I'm thinking you put Damian Wayne, but you didn't put Terry McGinnis. I mean, come on, in terms of who's the better character and everything, like, Jesus. And then, again, that's not even, like, the Atom is in this list. Number 24, the Atom. Eh. What? What? Seriously? Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a fan, but whatever. Yeah, but in a t- top 25 list? You know, they always have to throw, like, one or two obscure characters into a list like this. And Starfire? That That's Purely because of her outfit. Because it sure as hell is not about the character. <laughs> like, come on. She, oh, especially considering the, the Red Hood and the Outlaw crap that we saw. <laughs> I, I love how they talk about, like, specifically for Starfire, about how the character that they loved when they were younger and, you know, from the older Teen Titans comics and even the, the animated series has been ruined by the new 52 version. And then the artwork they use. Is, is the, the new, new 52 stuff. version. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this was just... Yeah, this was bad. This was just... <laughs> it had me shaking my head. It made me want to make my own less. goddamn list. I'll make my own list. I'll prove you all wrong. <laughs> Can you even name 25 other DC characters? There might be some Marvel guys in there. I'll try to slip them in, <laughs> see if anybody kind of says, hey, hold on a second. 
Wasn't he in the X-Men at some point in the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you know that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> All right, as for what we intended to talk about today, uh, no, no big news at this point that a couple weeks ago, Marvel announced a new lineup uh, that they actually have coming to Netflix starting in a couple years. And uh, it's basically a 13-episode seasons uh, for Daredevil, Luke Cage, uh, Iron Fist and Jessica Jones eventually teaming up in a big crossover miniseries with the Defenders. And of course, you know, I was jumping up and down like an idiot when I first heard of this. I mean, basically, if they'd swapped out Daredevil for Moon Knight, they might as well have called it Vince the Crossover because I always I had an affinity towards all the street level heroes. And since we can't have Spider Man in the actual continuity, I'll settle for Power Man and Iron Fist. You know, it's funny because when this was announced too, it was Tart who told me about it. And we had a massive discussion all afternoon about this and about the about choosing Jessica Jones for, for this versus someone who would be better known and all that. And she was giving me her perspective as a woman comic book reader mm-hmm. as opposed to what my opinion was. And while I I can appreciate the the difficulties that any woman has, whether it's in comic books or for gaming, things like that, because you have to deal with so many stupid men and boys. Um, I, I, I was thinking of it obviously different than her, but I like, I wanted a character that had more depth to it. It wasn't that obviously that there was a woman that the series was based on, because there's different women that I would love to see, an animated series based on it was their choice of woman simply because I've got no interest in her. I find her boring as a character. So that to me is why I was like, it's like when we see series where they give a B or C list character to a woman writer. And then when the series doesn't sell well, I can imagine them going, well, see, we tried and nobody wants to read it instead of giving them someone that they could really sink their teeth into. And that's what it felt like for me here. Now at that time, basically your only exposure to Jessica was through uh, her time in new Avengers, correct? Yeah. Well, some different Avengers stuff that had Mm -hmm. come about and whatnot. I had not read this that we're going to be discussing. Although I, I got to tell you, even after reading this, while I can still appreciate and respect everything that like Tart and I talked about in her view on why and whatnot, I still have no interest. But I told her as well, I was saying like, it's not just her, I mean, it's not just a, a female character. I've got zero interest in the Luke Cage story as well, because he's also you. a character that I quit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's also a character that I really am not interested in because I find him so bland. He's such a boring character to me. So, I mean, the, the both of them are like that to me, both her, Jessica, and, and Luke Cage. So, frankly, I mean, hell, even Daredevil. If he's not well-written, Daredevil is nothing more than an egotistical bastard. That's all he is, and he doesn't come across very well. Put him in the hands of a good writer, though, and he's great. But otherwise, man, he can be boring as crap too so basically at this point you're just looking forward to the 13 episode kung fu extravaganza oh, that's gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> it will be so uh of course uh, i decided this week we would actually talk about the alias series that 
really introduced Jessica Jones. Uh, it was published actually under Marvel's Max line. And if this wasn't the first Max comic, it was definitely one of the first Max comic. And there, there's no confirmation, but the generally accepted uh, legend, I guess you will, is that Marvel specifically started the Max line to get Brian Bendis to write for them because this is the story he wanted to do. Hmm. And this uh, came out in 2001, which I mean, I wasn't reading comics at the time. I didn't even look at this until many years later, you know, browsing the bookstore shelves. I went, huh, what's this? I actually thought it was tying into the Alias TV series when I first picked it up. So did I, actually. I was (laughs) like, what the hell did he get me reading this week? (laughs) (laughs) So written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Gatos and uh, Matt Hollingsworth. And this series stars Jessica Jones, uh, the former superheroine known as Jewel, in her life as a private investigator. And one of the things that I actually found kind of interesting about this and when I first started reading this, I always assumed that she was just some established, you know, C-list character I'd never heard of before because I think Bendis did a pretty good job of giving her just enough ties to the rest of the Marvel Universe that I completely didn't know that this was her debut as a character. Okay. See, I didn't even know that either. Yeah, the, <laughs> he built up enough history behind the character, gave her attachments to people like, you know, Carol Danvers and Luke Cage, that it just felt like she always belonged there and it wasn't really an introduction. Hmm. Cool. And I, what actually has me pretty interested in the possibility for a TV series, and believe it or not, a Jessica Jones TV series is something Marvel's been trying to get off the ground for a number of years now. <laughs> it was one of their, like, first lineups to to a possible TV series before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was even a concept. It was like Jessica Jones and the Incredible Hulk. Because, of course, Incredible Hulk you know, has a history on TV. But I like that Jessica Jones can give us a different perspective on the Marvel Universe from like, her standpoint as the private investigator. Kind of like how I've talked about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gives us that look about how the movies affect you know regular people. I think Jessica Jones can do that same concept, but sort of in a different way, looking at, I kind of look at it like um, what I love so much about the recent uh, X Factor run by Peter David, where they were private investigators. So they were telling all the stories of the Marvel you know, universe that really wouldn't fit anywhere else. It was you know, the seedy underbelly and a lot of the, the more obscure, but still interesting stuff that they can do with the IP. So the story starts off and basically Jessica is just kind of bored uh, of how of what her life has turned into you know she didn't she tried the superhero thing it didn't really work out for her but she also doesn't really want to be this private investigator character uh and you know ruining people's lives for a living it's it's not really working out for her and uh we see a very ill-advised hookup with luke cage that over the course of the series they when i read this years ago that this is what really made me like Cage as a character is seeing their relationship evolve over the course of the series. And of course we know they end up getting married. They end up having a kid. I like the two characters together. It it was the first time in comics. I really saw a mature representation of, you know, a, a relationship because, you know, growing up reading stuff like, you know, Scott and Jean and, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Mary Jane wasn't very realistic. So when it coming back into it as, you know, an adult and looking at it, went, huh, you know, comics have changed over the years. I'm like, well, 
they really haven't. This was kind of the outlier. But that has nothing to do with this story, so we're not really going to get in too in-depth on that. But the point of the story is that Jessica is hired to find this woman's uh, missing sister. You know, she found a new guy and, you know, she kind of dropped off the face of the planet, hasn't talked to anybody in the family in a while. So she just wants to know if her sister's okay. So Jessica does her work through Google. <laughs> well, 2001, Google wasn't really the, the go-to place, but I'm getting off track again. Tracks down this girl, finds her with her new boyfriend. Turns out the new boyfriend is Captain Freakin' America. And this is all in the first issue. Like, th- this is what grabbed a hold of me is at the end of the first issue, you see that this is – while the you know the mainstays of the Marvel Universe aren't going to be prominent in this series, it's still going to have enough ties to it to keep it interesting on a regular basis. Yeah, the the first little bit of the book, I, I'm not going to lie again because the character's not one that I'm really particularly invested in. The first little bit, maybe even half of it, didn't interest me. I mm-hmm. was forcing myself to get through. And I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, the sex scene in question came off far too much as for me at least as fan service this woman saying to him do with me whatever you please little fantasy thing and the scene is fairly graphic anal sex scene kind of thing and so it was more as we've seen in other start off well it wasn't just (laughs) that it's the manner i'm looking at it in terms of how it was written yeah. In terms of how it was written, it felt too much like what I've said about Saga in some some parts of Saga, where it's it's graphic and harsh or whatever, just to get attention and to say, hey, look at me, I'm edgy, and not because it fits into the story particularly well or that it even belongs. So to me, that just felt like fan service. And it was like, uh, I again, I don't have patience for that kind of stupidity. As it progressed, though, and as you got to know the character more and everything that she's going through and the intrigue of what is actually happening, it was a damn good story. And by the time you get to even the end of the first issue with that stuff with Captain America that you're like, oh, well, this is about to get interesting now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it was a very solid, you know, private investigator detective type story. Because now Jessica has tape footage of Captain America both in costume and out of costume because apparently at this point in continuity, Steve Rogers was you know just some guy living in an apartment. It wasn't public knowledge that he was Captain America. And this puts her in a very awkward situation because now there's a lot of people who would do a lot of things to get a hold of this information. And you know, she's you – know, pretty scared she freaks out she wasn't expecting you know this typical run-of-the-mill missing persons case to turn into this and we find out that really it's all just a setup that the woman who hired her doesn't even exist really basically it was all just an elaborate ruse specifically to get that footage of captain america and put jess into a situation where that information would likely become public uh to the point where the girl, did they even give her a name? I'm sure they gave her a name, but it's largely unimportant. <laughs> it ends up dead, and the police bring Jess in for questioning because, well, she was at the scene. She was investigating this woman. She kind of lied a little bit about her whereabouts. And also the detective you know, was kind of a jerk and really didn't like her to begin with. But so It was it, well written, though. Oh, very in well In terms written. of him being a jerk and playing her and everything, that was actually well done. Yeah, that's the one thing Bendis has always done 
better than probably any of his peers is pure character dialogue. And you have pages and pages of these two people just sitting across a table from each other and talking. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Until Matt Murdock steps in because, you know, again, we got to have those little ties and you know, basically pulls her out and she starts her own investigation into exactly what the heck is going on. Turning to her friend type person in <laughs> Carol Danvers, uh, a lot of backstory here that you know, clearly these two used to have a close friendship and some sort of falling out. Uh, not going to get into the specifics of that because as the, the Alias series plays out, it's actually a, a pretty interesting story of what happens between the two of them. And a lot of it is them reforming their friendship over the course of, of the series. Finds out that the woman who hired her herself works for a presidential candidate, Stephen Keaton. And Keaton is running on a platform that the current president is a little too close with the superheroes. And how you know, he should be working for the American people and he, it looks like you know, he's working for the Avengers instead. And it, it gets into a lot of uh, political type stuff that I can see that if superheroes actually did exist in the world, I could believe that argument would be on Fox News or MSNBC or something. <laughs> See, this is where, unfortunately, um, I don't, not too, too much, but to a certain degree, if you're not American, you're kind of clocking out at some of this. And it's like, eh, I don't care. The, the, it's, it's an entirely different mentality when you're reading how important American politics are and you're not American. It's not nearly as thrilling to an important in the story kind of thing. I can appreciate it and whatnot, but it's just, it doesn't have the same feel as it would for somebody else. I was actually interested to see how you would uh, view well, that, that whole storyline. The, the perfect example to that, and just to very, very briefly show you, is um, this weekend we watched um, Olympus Has Fallen, the, the new movie with uh, mm-hmm. George Butler. It's on Netflix. Not really new anyways. And it's basically Die Hard in the White House is what it is. But... The perfect example here is how all of the political stuff having to do with the president and everything like that does not have nearly the impact as it would for you guys, obviously. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's a reality of the story. I mean, we can appreciate it when not. And it depends highly on how it's done as well. In some cases, you can appreciate it. You can respect it and be moved by it. But when it gets to be a little bit too much of the patriotism tossed in, the mad patriotism that's off the wall patriotism, <laughs> then it has a way different impact on everybody else. And this here, it, it wasn't that borderline, so it wasn't bad. But it was, it was one group trying to portray it as that borderline. So that kind of loses – you kind of lose interest at points. Mm-hmm. So as this goes on, Jess continues her investigation. She finds out that this guy, Zumas, is pulling the strings behind everything. Basically, uh, Zumas and you know, his rich buddies paid a lot of money to help the president get into office in exchange for certain favors that would be expected of him. So now that those favors have not been coming their way, they're going to basically do everything they can to now get him out of office and get somebody who they feel they can control better in there. And that's the whole point of the tape. They, they want to connect Captain America with this dead girl. And, you know, basically, again, it's one of those American politics things where even the slightest hint of anything remotely 
related to looking at something scandalous is enough to ruin a political career. And again, I understand that that's largely an American thing. So it, it, I'm sure it didn't read quite as well again for you. Yeah, it just didn't have the same impact. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the day is saved. Like, I actually love how there is this, the, the point at the end of their conversation where Jess felt she was just completely screwed. And seeing that, you know, yeah, she, she is this former superhero. She has all these friends. But at the end of the day, she's still really a nobody. And she really needed, you know, the, the white knight to ride in on his horse and save her. And that's where they introduce uh, the character of Clay Quartermain. And again, as the series plays on, he's a very important character to uh, the story. And as we saw earlier, really the main point of contention between uh, her and Carol. And again, over the course of the series, I think it's 25 issues, maybe 24. It was a really interesting story of just how Jess got to where she is. Because we even see at the end when uh, Cap shows up to thank Jess. And you know, he's like, well, why did you quit? And basically she says that, uh, you know, she tried the hero thing, but when she looks at somebody like Captain America and the selfless person, she can't, she couldn't live up to those ideals. And so she decided to just, you know, quit the job. That's not entirely true. And I said, I, I would encourage people who are interested to check this out because over the course of the series, it does tell a very interesting story about this character. Even just these issues, the. I, again, I didn't realize this was made up on the spot kind of thing. The mm-hmm. the interactions that you see between her and the established superhero community kind of thing, I thought was very well done and obviously quite believable. Yeah. And as I said, seeing, you know, again, her relationship with Cage grow from you know, the, the very ill-advised one-night stand, if you will, into an actual true relationship was very nice to see. Because at the same time, uh, Cage had his own max series being published so it was cool to see i actually never got a chance to read that cage series and then huh that's a shocker i could never get my hands on it it wasn't it wasn't exactly a uh a a hot item if you will hmm and what's what was interesting is marvel has this max line and a lot of the stories actually tell the max line aren't even in continuity but in the early days a lot of them were but they didn't want the Max line too closely associated with a lot of their big stars. Basically, they didn't want some kid walking into a comic shop, seeing a Max comic with Spider-Man on the cover and going, ooh, and then having a very bad conversation with his parents <laughs> somewhere down the line. So they, they allowed some of the, the major characters to make some cameo appearances here and there, largely out of costume, not usually as their superhero identities. But as Jessica started becoming more and more involved with a lot of these characters, Bendis realized that it was kind of hamstringing his ability to tell the story. So after issue 24 or 25, they cut off Alias and actually relaunched it as an, a regular Marvel comic called The Pulse. And that was a... Uh, it was like kind of like a side story spinning out of the whole Daily Bugle thing where it was like Ben Urich and a lot of the... Like, again, a lot of the, the supporting cast of the Marvel Universe... And it was their like press PR sort of look at the superhero. Again, it was a very different look at the superhero universe. And since it was a traditional Marvel title, it didn't have all of the trappings of a Max title. It didn't have all of the, the language and the nudity and what, you, what have you. They were able to start melding in you know, Spider-Man, Green Goblin, a, a lot of the, the more major characters of the Marvel universe started melding in with the story. And I said, 
I did not know until way later that Jessica was not meant to be (laughs) always. I didn't know she was a new character and seeing this character now grow from completely unestablished to a full fledged member of the Marvel universe over the course of, I think a total of maybe 40 issues. It's a really cool ride. Hmm. And I said, that's, that just has me interested in what they can do with this concept for these Netflix series of giving people, you know, just a normal person's view of of the Marvel universe. I think it could be, it could work out well. Of course, it's all going to depend on, you know, the final product. Well, it's going to depend largely on who's writing it as well. Mm -hmm. And if they do a decent job with it. But it still doesn't matter. I'm I'm really excited just because I get to see it. You know, a heroes for hire sort of series. I'm I'm really hoping we get you know supporting roles for like Misty Knight and Colleen Wing and Shang Chi. If you can get Shang Chi into this series, <laughs> I'm on board. Give, give me that. Give me that Marvel. I really want that. <laughs> All right. And so, what else we've been reading this week? I was going to mention this last week, but I saved it for you because I figured you would want to talk about it. And that was Amazing X Men. Oh, of course. One. <laughs> and then when you didn't talk about it, I was like, oh, okay, I guess he didn't read it. <laughs> and it, I don't think I have ever been happier reading a comic book than I was reading this. Oh, this was so awesome. And the reason I didn't talk about it was just that I had not had a chance yet to read it. Oh. So I read it and it was like, oh, it was just a thing of beauty. It was, <laughs> it was just so freaking awesome. And eh. it's funny because and we we've talked about this before, how – because of the lack of permanence in death, it's hard to be affected by a death in comics. That said, there's still that the, the evil little <laughs> night crawler on your shoulder <laughs> who's like, just bring him back. We want him back. Bring him back. Bring him back. And then you're like all gung-ho when you get a story like this. And if it's well done and if, it, if there's been enough time that's passed – since he died kind of thing or they died whoever it is then it has at least a little bit more it, it grips you a little bit more and that was this you read this and it's like i've missed you so much <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just waiting for the inevitable scene probably an issue two when logan finally meets him face yeah, to face yeah. and there will be many tears shed on that day oh, i want a picture that's cool enough that I can start using it as a logo or as an avatar or something <laughs> of the two of them, you know, we'll be giving them a noogie or something. <laughs> oh no, it's going to be full on man hug. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even a little tail action. It's possible. There's a lot of whipping tails in this one. <laughs> <laughs> and they even bring in, um, Azazel as, you know, the, the foe and Azazel is, front and center in what is widely considered the worst X-Men story of all time. So bad, I wouldn't even make you read it (laughs) if that tells you anything. So any story involving him, by default, I kind of tune out. But they basically made him the (laughs) an evil pirate lord. (laughs) How can I not love that? (laughs) And the little red bamps. Yeah. And, And right there, right off the bat, you know, what six pages into the story you get swashbuckling Kurt again with his swords and it, it was so great thank you Ed McGinnis he would oh, he was amazing the the picture of him on the edge of the cliff in his nice white robe with his tail hanging over the edge kind of oh my god that's freaking frame worthy and you know Jason Aaron loves Nightcrawler 
and he hates that he never got a chance to actually write. Did you did you ever read the the Wolverine Weapon X series? Yes. The last issue with Wolverine carrying the piano up the mountain. Yes. And it, you can tell from that moment on that man Jason Aaron could write a heck of a Nightcrawler Wolverine story. And what is it like? Four years later, we're finally getting it. Yeah. Oh, this, thank I, you. Yeah, this <laughs> freaking awesome. <laughs> Wasn't it Jason Aaron that also wrote the the whole Wolverine goes to hell thing? Where we saw the little glimpse oh. of Kurt in his mind. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Oh, I need to look that up. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, moving on. Again, you're not going to believe me. Deadpool oh, is now legitimately a good comic book. This latest storyline has completely sold me. And if they can continue writing a Deadpool comic of this quality, I will be very impressed. Because as it stands right now, this single storyline, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I would put up there with the Joe Kelly and even I would put it above a lot of the Fabian Nicieza stuff. The, the, the actual good Deadpool comics we had years and years ago, this is right up there amongst them. Don't expect anything from I, me. <laughs> I was at least waiting for some sort of joke. No, Man. no, no. And then lastly, uh, Superman Wonder Woman. I actually went back, read the first issue and I do agree. It was a, an interesting look at how these two characters would have a relationship without being, you know, Superman and, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and, you know, goofiness. It it was a a very different thing that I was expecting. And I actually really loved issue two, but that's just because it brought in a lot of the, you know, the Wonder Woman Greek God stuff that I've really been enjoying in her solo title and just getting to watch Superman beat the crap out of Apollo. was freaking (laughs) awesome. (laughs) So yeah, I, it it's definitely one of the better comics DC's putting out right now, but only after two issues. But uh, I'm actually really liking it. It's it's a mature look at what this type of relationship would be, kind of thing, and without the teenage kind of he said she said, oh my god, this is so great and that kind of stupidity. I mean, there's little glimpses of that, but overall, no, it's a it's very good and again it's it's seeing him in a relationship that isn't with Lois and that in and of itself is huge mm-hmm. so I really I, I enjoyed it I did I, I, I love how they tried to be normal about it yeah and knowing damn well that that's just not Never going to be happen. possible yeah <laughs> alright that's actually all I got this week uh, Cataclysm The Ultimates Last Stand number one did you read mm-hmm. it? I did okay what did you think? I think I uh, need to wait for issue two. <laughs> okay. Like it, it's, it, it, it put everything where it needed to be to start the story, but nothing has really happened yet. Genki's just awesome. Well, he's, yes. He's going to be awesome forever. They need I, so much more of him. <laughs> I actually really did like the uh, Cataclysm Ultimate Spider-Man issue, though. Right. Yeah. This is, I mean, this was all right. Um, I've never been... Not, not, not that anybody can be a fan of Galactus, <laughs> but I, it's one of those things where it's still a giant dude who eats planets, who, who, who recruited a guy on a surfboard. So I know it, it's that time frame. You have to just accept it, but my brain can't. <laughs> my brain keeps saying it's just a giant dude who eats planets. And so that's why they're they're making such a huge deal about this and this being the end of that universe kind of thing. 
And because this villain has never had anything for me, done anything for me, I should say, it, it, I don't know. It doesn't have the same level of gravitas kind of thing. Again, I, I, I am the, uh, the fanboy opinion on this one because, uh, you know, I love all the co- cosmic stuff and Galactus yeah. is just a pure beast in a lot of those stories. Yeah. And I've read a lot of those. <laughs> I did my homework since we've started this freaking podcast. I've read a lot of that crap. But, you never read any of the stuff I tell you to read. I hey, I read it and I don't tell you sometimes. But again, you got this freaking like the the ultimates are going after him, and you get Thor going off. Let me try him. I believe it's Thor. I don't like him, but he's a god. So him going to punch Galactus in the forehead Not anymore in the Mar- in the Ultimate Universe. But okay, well, whatever. Kind of I actually do. I haven't been reading the Ultimates in forever, so yeah, you I, haven't yeah. missed a whole lot. Yeah. But yeah, he's not a god anymore. But when Cap says. I got this. That's when I clock out. <laughs> You're going to poke him in the eye with your little shield, buddy. It's not even going to do anything. So, like, it, it was believable <laughs> when Miles is saying, what the hell am I going to do? I'm a kid yeah. with spider powers. Good boy. You know what you're talking about. Well, when Cap's like, oh, I got this. Shut up. <laughs> so, that was that. I This is nowhere near the the event that... The you know the death of Spider Man and what that led into and everything that to me was so much more than this. This was meh so far. Did you read uh, Trial of the Punisher? Actually, I did. I, I was thinking of actually covering it on a future episode, but no, we'll go into it. I freaking liked it. Oh, it was great. It was like again, it's it's Punisher is hit or miss. There's very little in between. It's either freaking awesome. Or it's so bad, you wouldn't wipe your butt with it. And this was really freaking good. I enjoyed this a lot. Of course, I only read the first one so far. I don't even know if the second one's out yet. Oh, yeah. It, what are they up to? It's just the two. It okay. It's a two-issue okay, yeah, story. Yeah. I have to pick up number two. But, uh, man, I absolutely... And the art, oh, it just fit it so perfectly. I really, really enjoyed it. And it, not without ruining anything up until basically the last page of issue two, the story still doesn't make any sense as to, you know, why, why? he did this, but the payoff is brilliant. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to pick it up and read it. Cause yeah, I really surprised at how much I liked it. I'd been putting it off. I had it and it was like, mm, there's always something better to read. So I always kind of shoved it aside and read something else. And then finally it was like, oh, okay, I got to read it. And, uh, and it paid off. Did you by any chance, you probably didn't cause based on what our discussion was on Popcorn Ronin about Star Trek 2. Did you read the Star Trek uh, Con number one? No. It's freaking good. It's uh, IDW. and It's really all you need to say. IDW is great Mm -hmm. with their licensed content. Whoever did the art for the cover of that, holy crap in hell. They are amazing artists. They're not the people who did the inside. Uh, because you can quite obviously <laughs> tell the difference. It's not that the, the, the inside of the art is bad. It's just a way, way different style. But man, that cover artist is like portrait perfect of Cumberbatch. Anyways, um, it's written by Mike Johnson. And it tells the, it. it's basically immediately after the movie ended. And now Khan is standing trial. And then he starts to tell his story. And so you're getting the story of how it started kind of thing. I kind of am a little put off, though, that they go back to his beginning 
and they pick a date, a year, way in our past, so that it shows even how old he is in there. And it's like, hey, that's the year I was born. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's got me actually really interested in the character because essentially right from the get-go, um, Kirk has a picture of Khan and says, this is Khan. You don't look anything like Khan. And Khan is like East Indian. And Cumberbatch, quite obviously, is not. Hmm. And so you have this kind of story from there. It's like, okay, well, who the hell, who is he then if he's not Khan? So I've only read the first issue. I believe the second one is out, at least the second, if not possibly even the third. But really freaking good story. Whether you like the movie or not, this is actually worth reading. Definitely worth reading. Yeah, I'm. I'm not incapable of holding something on its own merits. You because kind of remember, are. A lot of my you issues with the movie are. weren't necessarily the story, but the way the story was presented to the viewer. Yeah. Well, I am suggesting you read this, and you. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on it, even if it's only just the first one, because I'm serious. I really quite enjoyed this, and I'm looking forward to reading the second one and well, the rest of it as well. I will look into it. Cool. And that's it for me. All right. Then diving into this week's new releases, after a couple of slow weeks, Marvel is definitely cranking back up again this week. We have issue 23 for The Avengers. We have Cable and X-Force 16, Cataclysm The Ultimates number one. Why do I get a feeling right now there's going to be a lot of Cataclysm comics to read? Yes, there will be. We have Fantastic Four, number 14, Indestructible Hulk, number 14. Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe, number two. Still haven't had a chance to read the first one. I haven't either. We have Superior Spider-Man Annual number one, as well as Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number six, Thunderbolts number 18, Uncanny X-Men number 14, Regular Old X-Men number seven, X-Men Legacy number 20, and Young Avengers number 12. Interesting lineup from DC this week. We have Animal Man number 25, Forever Evil, Rogue's Rebellion number two, Harley Quinn number zero, because we need that, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 25, Supergirl number 25. We finally get the fifth issue of The Wake. I think it's been a while on that one. And Wonder Woman number 25. And go for it. I'll wait until you're done. Okay. And then after a couple of really big weeks, we have a smaller lineup from uh, our other publishers this week. IDW brings us Samurai Jack number two and Transformers More Than Meets the Eye number 23. From Image, we have Sex Criminals number three and from Valiant Eternal Warrior number three. Did you read by any chance, and I know that I'm done my reading, but did you read <laughs> the, um, the, the, the DC, um, oh, God damn it. Injustice? Injustice Annual? Yes, I did. Dude. It's freaking awesome. I thought of it because you mentioned Harley Quinn and it was like, you know what? Once again, here's someone who could write anybody awesome because Harley is freaking awesome in that annual. Best team up ever. (laughs) It was great. And I didn't even hate Lobo. I know. he. Oh, man. He is freaking awesome. I love him. Okay. Public challenge to Tom Taylor. Write a Booster Gold comic. Oh, Jesus. Don't do that. After what he's done with the, a lot of these other characters, if he can do a good booster, he may be the greatest writer in American history. Well, Australian history, because that's where he's from. Let's just keep it to DC history. How's that? 
<laughs> right, and that's going to wrap us up here. As always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. Uh, we're actually taking next week off for American Thanksgiving. I will be uh, entirely too busy to perform in, in an episode. But that just gives us two weeks to prepare for a Roger episode, which should be oh, it's very gonna be awesome. interesting. It's going to be awesome. Also, before we go, there are still some signed Samurai Jack number ones to give away. I wasn't kidding when I said I bought a number of them. So if you've emailed me already, you do have one that's going to be coming your way. So that should make a few people happy there. But also, if you thought, well, I'm too late, there's none left, there are. Make sure to email me at roger at comicbookinformer.com. Let me know if you'd like a copy. If I still have one by the time you email, it's yours. I will pay for shipping and everything. Otherwise, we're keeping them. Damn right. I'm already framing one. I have no problems with framing another one with a different cover. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you later. My little Samurai Jack room. (laughs) Wall to wall. Samurai Jack. I go to bed and have some nice dreams.